You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. You know, there's something that happens every single time that I sit down to my dinner. So if you picture it, because we don't tend to sit at the table too often, because we're slobs, right? So we sit with a tray. We've got one of those trays with a little cushion underneath it. You know the type that I'm talking about. It's fantastic. I feel like 100 years old, but it's, it's a wonderful thing. The thing that happens without fail, every time, sat down, you know, telly on whatever, home bargain, home bargains? Uh, bargain hunt or whatever it is that you're watching on the telly. That one was for you, Eddie. Um, you sit in there, you sit down, your, lap, your tray's on your lap, you're ready to eat, and then Meg, my dog, will go to the back door, sit down, indicating she wants to go outside. And so you have to go, like, get up, and go let her out. And then you know that by the time you get yourself settled back down again, She'll be at the back door, pouring it, going, I want to come back in. So up you go. Every single time, it's an absolute certainty. Uh, another type of certainty, if you're in Lidl's, right, it doesn't matter which queue you join. It doesn't matter. You're going to be the last person through. It, it, it will look like aisle two is going really quick, and you'll go to join aisle two, and then something will slow down in front of you, or somebody's card won't work, or somebody will realize they want something else. And, and so basically, you'll find that the people who were in aisle three that were behind you are now leaving the shop ahead of you going, see ya. It's a certainty, isn't it? They're like, it is supermarket kind of etiquette. It just happens that way. There's a certain type of inevitability to many areas of our lives. Think about the tides. Time and tide waits for no man. You can predict what the tide will be in the fourth, 100 years from now. You can predict the exact time it's going to be high tide, low tide, neat tide, spring tide. You can predict all of these things, where the planets are going to be in 100 years' time. You can predict how the Earth orbits around the sun. You can predict all of these things with absolute kind of certainty. And a couple of other things that are inevitable. Human conflict. It's inevitable. Since man walked on the Earth and left the garden of peace and security... There has been conflict and war and hatred and turmoil, and that leads to the other certainty, suffering. It is an absolute certainty that we all suffer in some way. Some people seem to have an unfortunate life of suffering. Other people seem to get away fairly unscathed, but the reality is that we do not get to go through this life without experiencing suffering uh, of some capacity. It is inevitable. Uh, And if you think about the last four years, just the last four years of our history, All of the things that are destabilizing or confusing or unnerving, these big events that have been taking place, how do we find balance? How do we find peace? How do we find a sense of security and certainty? I mean, just think about the last four years. I mean, it started with the beast from the east. (laughs) All right, that, that was the predictor right there. And then from the beast of the east, we had all the uncertainty of Brexit. 
and all of the divisions socially, like are you a Remainer or are you a Lever? And this created these huge tensions in our society. And then you also had on top of that this pandemic that just came out of nowhere and impacted every life across the world for the next two years. This is huge. And now we're looking with horror and some surprise at what Russia is currently doing, perpetrating into a European country. Unsettling things. You can go 50 years and you'll get one or two things. I mean, if you go back 20 more years or whatever, you've got 9-11. If you go back before that, you've got JFK, you've got the Berlin Wall falling down, you've got the, the kind of fall of communism, all of these things that happen, and yet the last four years quite condensed. Two things I'm certain of, right? right now, and you can be absolutely certain of right now, no matter what your beliefs are, two things are absolutely certain. If you are hearing me speak or seeing my lips move right now, you are alive. You have life in your body. That's good news, isn't it? That's thing number one. The second thing, and this is an absolute certainty for all of us, that that body, that flesh will fail it's inevitable. What you see here, it's not just going to perish, it is already perishing. And everybody over the age of 35 knows that to be a reality, right? Okay. It feels like my bladder is perishing in the middle of the night, you know. I know what age looks like, I tell you. Here's a key question for you. What are you living for? And to add to that question, what are you living for? Is it worth dying for? What are you living for? And is it worth dying for? Or to put it another way, do I have a life that is worth dying for? We're in this book of Philippians. Paul is in prison. He's chained to a guard for the gospel, for proclaiming the truth about Jesus Christ. And he is there waiting for what could be release or could be death. And actually, in the end, he was killed, okay? Uh, and even if he wasn't killed, this is 2,000 years ago. He, he's going to be dead anyway, right? There's a certainty about that. But here he is in prison, and in Philippians 1, 21 to 26, which is where we are today. If you could pop that up, because uh, I forgot to get my clicker again. Sorry, uh, Rose. He says this, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, I've been finishing on this sentence for the last couple of weeks, but now we're going to dig in further. Quite an extraordinary kind of statement that we're going to actually spend the next two messages unpacking. But, but look at his explanation. It's right here in this text. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire, to de uh, to I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Uh, by the way, this is his preference that he departs to be with Jesus. He, he, he's not got a kind of melancholy here. He's not like, oh, throw in the towel, I've had enough. It, it's not depression right here. He, he just considers that to die and to go to be with Jesus is better. 
than his present circumstances, even if he was released, even if the rest of his life on this earth was trouble-free, it's still better for him in his mind that he dies and goes to be with Christ. And he goes on to say, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and that I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. To live is Christ, to die is gain. In life and in death, for Paul, in Christ and for Christ, there is purpose and there is meaning. And in a couple of weeks' time, I'm not preaching next week, but in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to look at the the half of that statement that says, to die is gain. But today, I want to linger in to live is Christ. And no surprises, I'm going to break that into two parts. To live is Christ. And I want to see what Paul is talking about when he says that, and then what that kind of means to us in our perspective, in our lives. To live is Christ. So what Paul means by live is this. I can see, I can hear, I'm thinking, like there's blood running through my veins, there's breath in my lungs, okay? That is to be alive. He uses the word sarks, uh, a Greek word sarks, which literally means flesh. Like it's talking about the physical, and it's the same word that he uses later on in this, uh, in this letter, in Philippians 3, verse 3, where he says he has no confidence in the flesh, in the body, in this life. I don't have any confidence in what I have in this bag of bones right here and right now. So his idea of live is very much a physical kind of life that he's talking about here. He's talking about the space between his birth or his conception and his death. Actually, let's dig a bit deeper into that because he's actually talking about the space between meeting Jesus for the first time and going to be with Jesus for all time. That's this space that Paul calls to live. And for Paul, this space is absolutely consumed by an overarching thought, an intention, a desire, a commitment. This is what Paul's life is all about, all for Jesus. His whole life, his sense of meaning, his sense of purpose, his delight. He's found and, and understood and he's fully alive in Jesus Christ. So back to that key question. What are you living for? And and I just want to invite you, right here and now, to go home, not right now, obviously, stay a bit longer, and go look at the mirror, have a conversation with that person, and just say, what am I living for? Meaning, purpose, value, identity, It's all wrapped up in this. Where do you get your sense of purpose or meaning from? What are you living for? What am I living for? Who am I living for? You know, 
I think most of us, maybe not all of us, but most of us, we want our lives to matter, to have some kind of significance, whether it's big or small, whether it's just, you know, I just want to be a good brother, a good sister, a good father, a good mother, a good friend, a good colleague. You know, we want, we want something to matter about our existence here. We want some people to care about that as well, right? We, we want there to be a purpose and a meaning to our life, and maybe we want to leave a legacy of some sort as well. What am I living for? Is it to be the best that I can be? Is it, is it to be the best husband, the best friend, the best pastor? For, for you, is it to be the best teacher, the best sportsman, the best plumber, the best pilot, the best musician, the best electrician? You fill in your role there, the best father, the best mother. Is that what it is? Is it to be the best Christian that I can be? You know, I've heard a lot of talk in the church as well about aiming to be the best version of yourself. Have you heard that? Like, be the best version of yourself. Like, work on yourself and be the best that you could possibly be. It sounds really virtuous, but when I pursue that, my, my sense, uh, for, for my sense of purpose or value, it makes me want to be the best in the room. That's what it does. I'm being honest here. I'm, I'm, this isn't just a, a thought. Like, if I am trying to pursue being the best I can be, it means that I want to be better than Ian at playing the guitar. It, it, it means that I want to be better than Rachel and Kareen at singing. It means that I want to be better than, than preaching uh, than, than Len or, or Derek. It, it means I want to be better. I, I want to prove myself to be the best, and I'll get my sense of value from my position and my quality and my skill. That's what that does in my heart if I'm trying to be the best that I can be. I become driven by trying to prove myself. Must do better, must work harder, must achieve more. Why haven't they noticed me yet? Why haven't they noticed my skills? Why am I not good enough yet? It's a horrible place to live our lives. The thing is, because I'm also really lazy. And, and so I want to be, and this was what I was like when I was younger, I'd want to be the best in the room, competitiveness. I'd, I'd want to be brilliant. But, but very quickly, some things get shut down for you. Like football, <laughs> that was like very quickly, no, you, you just quit. You're not any good at this. Rugby, I was the ball. I mean, like, there wasn't, I was never going to be great at rugby, okay? Look at me, I'm like egg-shaped to the, you know, boom, <laughs> there you go. So I was never going to be good there. And if I tried something that was too hard or, or took too long to kind of skill up or, or wasn't easily achievable, if I couldn't be the best at that, I would quit. I would quit. I'd lose heart, I'd give up, and you know what, my sense of purpose and my sense of value would be challenged as well. It's horrible living like that. It's so easy to feel like a failure or a fraud. You know how many years I spent as a pastor with imposter syndrome, feeling like, I'm a fraud, I shouldn't be here. Well, actually, it's ongoing. <laughs> So four years, there you go. Ultimately, most things needed time and effort and commitment, and I simply wasn't really prepared to put that in. 
Yeah, I still wanted to matter. I still wanted to have purpose and value. You know what? Purpose and meaning is exhausting. Isn't it? Like when we're trying to carve a place for ourselves in this world, it's exhausting. But Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Like, there's something here in to live that isn't intended for you to prove yourself to be the best you can be or, or to prove your value or your position. You have innate value as a human being for a start. How great is that value? It's so great that God sent his only son that whoever would believe in him won't perish but will have everlasting life. That's how great your value is. Not because you're doing stuff, but because God is your creator. And he created you and he said, that's good and I like it. And then it broke and it went off in its own direction and he said, I want it back, I want to redeem this so that he's making it good again. You're not valuable because you're being good. You're valuable because God is doing a good thing in you. My yoke is easy. Like, am I living to try to please people or hit targets? Satisfy a bunch of objectives, like a bunch of desires in my heart that, that in the end will turn out inconsequential. You, you and McGregor, right? He's not inconsequential. I mean, he, I, you decide whether he's better looking than me or not. Jess likes him, so that's a bit annoying. You know? It's like, <laughs> you know, if ever she meets him, I'm in big trouble. Okay, but you and McGregor, I saw an advert the other day, and he's like, do you want to get to the end of your life and go, I wish I'd bought a bigger flat screen telly <laughs> with a thinner screen? Do you want that to be what you're saying at the end of the life? Or, or do you want to say, like, I wish I'd been to that country. I wish I'd been to that nation. I wish I'd seen that. Are you going to be satisfied with these kind of things? Well, actually, I'm not even satisfied if I get to the end of my life and can say I've been to Santorini or whatever beautiful places I've been to. Like, I want to get to the end of my life and be able to say to live was Christ. Now to die is to gain. My life and value isn't defined by the position I achieve, the title that I hold, the wealth that I accumulate, or the skills that I hone. It's not defined... Uh, whether or not, by whether or not I'm a good husband, a good pastor, a good human being. That's not what my worth is. These are good things, right? It's good to be a good human being. It's good to be a good husband, a good wife, a good friend. It's good to work to be a good pastor. But out of context, these things can be terrible pursuits. I'll illustrate that, right? Imagine if I seek to be the best pastor that I can possibly be. And that's my trajectory. That's the, that's the line I'm going to take. I, I'm not satisfied until I am the very best pastor that I can possibly be. From a career context, it's entirely self-driven. And I fear there probably are parts of the church that are very much like that. Career. Get up the ladder. You know, in our denomination, it would be like, Pastor, oh, I want to get to apostle level. Like, get me, get me up to that level. How do I level up? A terrible, terrible way to live my life and a terrible way for me to lead you, if that were true. Because the thing is with that is I would see you all as a commodity that validates my own success. I promise you, it's a very difficult line 
if this church was emptying, I, of course we'd be concerned about that. But if I take that on myself uh, and kind of like, oh, I've got to be a better pastor to make this church bigger. I've got to be a better... That's terrible. It's not what God intends. If that were true, every ministry that we did out of this church would be a mode of trans, uh, transport for my own stardom. Listen, there are times where I get distracted by numbers. Honestly, I think we all do. There are times when I get distracted by how well we're doing something, or if we're doing something badly or whatever, and I want to correct that. But, but if it becomes about me and my role and my ministry and my career and all this kind of stuff, that is terrible for this church. It's terrible for you. It's terrible for me. And it's terrible for the kingdom of God. My life, my value, my purpose, the best version of me. It's not achievable by being better or carving a place for myself. It is defined by Christ. Your life, whether you know him or not, is defined by Christ. It's defined by who Jesus is. So what is your to live is? For Paul, he says to live is Submitted, yielded, surrendered to Christ. It's all about Jesus. I love the line of that old hymn, Thou and Thou only, the first in my heart. That is what to live as Christ is. You deserve it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. We've sung it this morning. That is to live is Christ. Everything unbounded, without restriction, without reservation. Everything, all that I am for all that he is. To live is Christ. And there we find meaning and value and purpose make sense in Christ. I, I want to point something out here. While Paul, he goes on in these verses to say, this will mean fruitful labor, going on living in this body. It's more necessary for you that I go on living in this body. And he says that it's for their progress and joy in the faith. These are good things. But notice Paul doesn't say, for me to live is fruitful labor. He doesn't say, for me to live is more necessary for you. He doesn't say, for me to live is for your progress and your joy. He says, for me to live is Christ. And that reason, for that reason and that reason alone, this is beneficial to you. This is good for you. This is for your progress. This is for your joy. To live is Christ. Jesus is his treasure. His everything, his all in all. And this changes everything. To Timothy, he says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. Poured out. That's what his life is, being poured out as a kind of sacrifice. And it echoes in Romans where he talks about us offering up our bodies as a living sacrifice. 
being transformed rather than conformed to the ways of the world. To, to the Galatians, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ and no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To live is Christ. I, I, I don't want to offend anyone that doesn't know Jesus. Not offhand with my words. But listen, if you don't know Jesus, you don't know life. Your body is living, but you haven't added the is Christ to it. Uh, and bless you, you know, you're, you're so welcome. We will love you. But, but your life will find itself fully in the place where value and meaning and purpose make sense when your life is Christ. Paul is all in. All to Jesus I surrender. Uh, this is what true discipleship is. You know, being a Christian, it's not a quick prayer that secures you. Jesus doesn't call us to make converts. He calls us to make disciples. He calls us to be disciples. That's, that's a lifelong thing. That's that space between meeting Jesus for the first time and going to be with Jesus for all time. Discipleship. Not to live first and foremost for family, for work, for fun, for happiness, for friends, for achievements, for, for security, or even for church. Not first and foremost. You know, in fact, one of the most tragic wastes of a life is a life that is living for the church but not living for Jesus. Tragedy. So close, yet so misunderstood. If you still think that Christianity is about religion, this is just one of the world's religions, you're missing it. You're not understanding something here. To live is Christ. This isn't just another option on the table. This is literally life and death. It's not religion. But first and foremost, Jesus, above all else, me being fully engaged with Jesus. Jesus says some harsh things like, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of heaven. That's pretty harsh, Jesus. Do you want to reel that back a little bit? Like, discipleship, it's not a fire and forget thing. It's, it's not a, I'm just going to come to church every so often thing. Discipleship is all in, surrender before Jesus. No turning back. To, to a rich young ruler, he says, and this is harsh, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give them to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Now, that's bad enough because this guy was quite rich and he liked that. He wanted to follow Jesus, by the way. But there were two things that Jesus said to him. Get rid of everything and give it away. And the second thing, and I think this is actually why the guy really went away, Jesus said, and follow me. Leave everything behind. Leave it behind. Your life is different now. Your, your outcomes, your purpose, your, your focus, everything is now different. If you want to follow me, follow me. If you don't, stay where you are. Keep your money. 
Keep doing what you want to do. Keep answering your own questions. Keep, keep, keep doing things your own way. That's, that, you can do that. God is so good that he gives you that choice. But he says, if you want to follow me, follow me. And this guy's sad because he doesn't want to give up his wealth or his identity or his choices or his lordship over his own life. He was saying, I'll give you this much, Jesus, and no more. Could that be you? I'll give you this much, Jesus, but no more. Hands off this. This is mine. Get out of this, this bit of my life, Lord. That's not yours. This is, this is my bit. This is my church time. You come and speak to me in this bit, God. But, but this is my sports time. Or this is my home time. Or, you know, this is my whatever time. God, just clear out of that bit. That's mine. I've got lordship over that. But you can have everything else. You know, that, that just doesn't fly with Jesus. And it's not that he's being harsh. It's because if you want your to die to be gain, you've got to be all in. You've got to be all in. And I, I have to admit, I often find myself being something of a hokey-cokey Christian. Do you know what I mean? In, out, in, out, shake it all about. I, I want you to know that right now, because this is sounding quite heavy right now. And, and some of you are probably answering the, or asking the question, but I don't feel like I'm all in all of the time. And like, do I have to be like a super Christian and like super engaged and get up at five every morning and pray and do this, this and this and do this in the church and do, you know, what? No, that's, that's to miss the point as well. And I want you to know that this man standing right in front of you, telling you all this today, and I believe it word for word, and yet I screw this up. My heart is prone to wonder. My, my desires, my, my ultimate desire is Jesus, but too often I desire other things, you know, nice shiny things. I, I'm exactly the same. So if you're wrestling with this right now, I'm the same as that. Sometimes I want to serve Jesus when it suits me. Sometimes I want him out of the room, if, if I'm honest. Like, oh, it's a bit awkward to have you here, Jesus, right now. I, I want to be really angry about this, and I want to just vent all my anger. And it's you sitting next to me in the car is just really awkward. Could you like just get out for a minute, and I just throw some choice words at the driver in front of me or whatever? <laughs> yeah, you know that there are Christians, and then there are Christians. And I'm, I'm not saying that's a class system. And I am saying that if you're saved, you're saved, all right? However well you're doing, like, wherever you are, if you've surrendered your heart to Jesus, you are secure, all right? Nobody is able to pluck you out of his hand. I want you to know that for sure today. That, that is a done deal, okay? It's a done deal. But, but I've noticed in my life that there are those who are just Christians, and there are those who are disciples, like, all in. And they still screw it up, by the way. They still make mistakes. They still say stupid things. But, but, but there's something in their heart that's just like, yes, I, I wrestle with this, but I desire you, Jesus. And I'm all in. You know, are you likely to be identified as a church attender or a follower of Jesus Christ? Tough question, but that's the question, isn't it? But listen, it's not so much about effort. In fact, it's not about effort. It's not. My, my yoke is easy. It's, it's all about engagement. It's all about recognizing I'm a mess. 
however much I've got it together, I, I am so far short of the glory of God. It's, it's not even something to joke about. It's ridiculous. And so my hands go up in the air, and I say, I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. Because I cannot, I cannot, I cannot do this. I cannot love you enough. I cannot want you enough. I cannot behave well enough. I cannot do any of this. And so, Jesus, I surrender myself to you because I need you to live is Christ. Don't panic. Please don't feel rubbish about yourself. I really don't, 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 don't feel bad about yourself this morning. Don't be distracted by what another person is doing either, you know, whether they're genuine or not. Please don't ever make that assumption of somebody else based on how they're performing, whether you think they're a real Christian or not. You know how we know somebody's a Christian? If we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we're saved. That's it. Smashing it, ruining it, Christian, right? So, so don't ever look at somebody else and make an assumption based on their current behavior because God is able to do incredible things, is doing incredible things. And when that person dies and stands before God in glory, at that moment in time, they will stand before him and be like him, see him as he is by his work and not by our effort. It's far better for you to focus on your own walk with Jesus than virtue watching other people. Paul goes on to say in this letter, work out your salvation. That same word from last week, the, the, the uh, um, deliverance. Work out your deliverance with fear and trembling. There is something on us, and it is to keep going back to Jesus and going, I am not enough. I need you, Jesus. Christianity is a life's pursuit of following Jesus, but this is not a trudge. And and I'm going to kind of wrap this up here. This is not a trudge. If we consider it to be a trudge, we've misunderstood. Paul's to live is Christ wasn't a begrudging statement. Oh, if I must. Yes, he would prefer to go, because that frees him from the suffering and the pain and the hardship of this life and puts him right in the middle of the glory of God for eternity. Of course it's better. Of course his heart, if he understands that, would be like, yes, it's better. But his to live, to stay, to remain, he wasn't like, shucks, I've got to stay with you guys right now in this situation. Nothing like that. It was a joy-filled. There's a cost to discipleship, guys. It's a cost that Jesus has paid, and the reward for that is priceless. Profound joy, utter freedom. To live as Christ is priceless. What are you living for? Is it worth dying for? If I don't consider my to live to be Christ. It's highly unlikely that I could consider my to die to be gain. If I don't have Jesus in my sights, then to die, I need Jesus. Because only in Christ is our life truly defined truly given meaning and purpose. True freedom, I'm wrapping this up, true freedom is is unachievable 
outside of trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's why we just sang it. You, you can't have freedom outside of Christ. Not really. You think you're free, but you're not. You can't really have peace outside of Jesus. It, it's not, when Jesus says, my peace I give to you, and he says, I don't give you as the world gives, he's not saying I'm giving you a better version of peace. He's, he's not saying I'm hotwiring your peace so that it becomes like a supercharged version of peace. He's saying I'm giving you an entirely different thing. Like the, the peace that you think you can achieve, the freedom that you think you can achieve, the fulfillment that you think you can achieve in this life, it's a different thing when Jesus comes and puts his stamp on your life and says, now you are free, now you can have my peace, now you have meaning, now you have fulfillment in your life and purpose. True joy. The joy of the come what may, live or die. Bring it. Bring it. The only thing that I'm apprehensive about, about death, and I'll knock into this in a couple of weeks' time a bit, is whether or not it's going to hurt. Whether or not it's going to be long and drawn out, like my mum. Or whether it's going to be instant, which would be my preference. But that's, really, that's my concern over it. I, I, I'm a bloke, so I don't like pain. I mean, you know, all the women in the room are going, yeah, right, yeah, you don't know about pain, man flu. <laughs> man flu's a real thing, guys. Um, I have no fear of when my eyes close and my consciousness in this body disappears. I've no fear because I know at that point I will be with Jesus. And we'll come back to that in a couple of weeks. Ian Ban, do you want to come up? Can we stand together, guys? As challenging as some of the questions I've put before you today are, I encourage you to engage with them. Ask the person in the mirror about them. What am I living for? Is it worth dying for? Uh, and if you're not certain of what you're living for, look in the mirror, and as you're looking at yourself, say, Jesus, come and fill this person. Come and redeem this person. Come and take your place in lordship in this person's life. And I guarantee you at that point, there'll be a transformation that will happen where you will know to die is gain because to be with the Lord is so much greater and he gives us meaning and purpose. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for people like you.